Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, great to see you all here on uh, the Zoom platform. Um, it's uh, been a, a nice day, beautiful sunshine. And uh, this evening, we're going to focus on quite an extraordinary character that some of you may or may not have heard of. Um, but before we do that, uh, shall we uh, come together in prayer? And I'm going to use one of the prayers from this book of devotional prayers, which is People of the Way, produced by the Church of Scotland. Um, and this is the evening prayer, so shall we all pray? Lord God, thank you for the people who taught me to walk further today than I was able to yesterday. And so tomorrow, may I be the one who helps someone to their feet, teaches another their first steps, encourages those who are weary, binds the wounds of those who have fallen or shoulders the heavy load of those who carry many burdens. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, now, um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, a gentleman called uh, William Carlyle, and I'm now going to uh, share the screen with you so that you can see uh, some pictures. William Carlyle uh, was at one point labelled the Archbishop of the Gutter. Uh, he was an extraordinary character. He was born in London in 1847. He was the eldest of 12 children. Um, and his grandfather uh, worked in the silk trade and he recruited his young grandson at the age of 14 to join him in the family business uh, and to travel Europe uh, as a kind um, of traveling salesman on behalf of the firm. And as a result of that, William became very proficient uh, in French German uh, and Italian, and he obviously had a flair for languages. He was a very gifted musician, so he could play the piano, uh, he could play the trombone, and you can see a picture of him uh, holding a trombone in his full Anglican surplus, um, and he also played uh, the organ. From early childhood, he suffered from some kind of back problem. We don't know what kind of illness this was, but it certainly disabled him from time to time. And he sort of made the little joke that because he had to spend quite a lot of time flat on his back, uh, that enabled him to see God uh, more easily uh, as he looked up to the heavens. But he was obviously um, gifted in so many ways. Um, and at the age of 26, um, he had uh, an experience uh, 
which uh, led him to become a Christian. He read uh, one of the books of a divine of that time, Dr. Mackay, and as he was reading it, um, he suddenly uh, felt that he was very close to God. And um, he says this, I've seen the crucified and risen Lord as truly as if he had made himself visible to my bodily sight. That is for me the conclusive evidence of his existence. And he touched my heart and all desires and hopes left it. And in their place came the new thought that I might serve him and his poor and suffering brethren. And so after that experience, he became a deacon in the Church of England and then um, uh, became a curate uh, in a place called St. Mary Abbott's in Kensington in London, then and now a very posh place. And he was a curate there. And the thing that struck him was that his congregation was filled by the middle classes and one or two of the gentry. But there were no poor people, working class people there at all. And so that prompted him uh, to start some open-air services, which at that time uh, was quite a, a bold and brave thing to do. Remember, he was a Church of England curate, and that didn't fit easily uh, with the Anglican Church at that time. And so he started open-air meetings, and this is an extraordinary thing. He worked out what time was it when the coachman and the valets and grooms uh, had their free time. And he noted that it was in the evening when they took a stroll. And that was when he started to hold his open-air services. And I think that's quite a lesson uh, for us um, in the church today. He looked, he investigated and found out what was the best time uh, to hold his services. And they grew and grew. And in fact, there were crowds that came to hear him preaching. Here he was uh, in his uh, surplus with his trombone. Uh, so it was quite uh, an unusual sight. Um, and um, sometimes there was violence. He got pelted with stones. The police had to break up the meetings because uh, there were kind of warring factions of those who were in favor and those who were against. Um, and so as a result of that, he felt that he should leave the church uh, as a curate uh, and concentrate on his open-air meetings because that is where the majority of ordinary people could be reached. They weren't in the church. Um, and so he felt that he needed to go out to where they were. And so um, he resigned his curacy. Um, and during that time, uh, he also got to know um, Sankey and Moody. Sankey and Moody were doing uh, 
an evangelistic tour of the United Kingdom. And um, after discussion uh, with Ira Sankey, um, he was invited to play the harmonium uh, at their meetings. Uh, and, um, uh, and so he did that and traveled with them around the United Kingdom. He died at the age of 95, but before then, he had founded what is known today as the Church Army, the outreach wing of the Church of England, which I'll say more about uh, a little later. But one of the hymns he would have sung uh, when he went with uh, Sankey and Moody and probably played was our next hymn uh, that we are going to sing, Who is on the Lord's Side?
reading from the New International Version, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert all the Lord's people. Amen. Thank you, Irene. Um, on Saturday, if you look at the Church of England lectionary, you'll see that uh, William Carlyle is especially remembered. Um, and in St. Paul's uh, Cathedral, uh, in the crypt, uh, that's where his uh, uh, ashes uh, are buried. I said that he'd founded the church army, and of course at the time that he lived, um, uh, the army, the military, analogies relating to battle and warfare were very much in people's minds. There was the Boer War, there was the Crimean War, um, and so people were used to concepts uh, relating to the army and soldiers and rank and joining up, etc., um, kind of illusions that we today find somewhat strange um, and disturbing. But then um, it was very much uh, in people's minds. Of course, the Salvation Army uh, was founded round about the same time. Um, so that was the context uh, and the environment in which uh, uh, William Carlyle was operating. Uh, and he developed his outreach work uh, after several attempts with the General Synod of the Church of England. Um, his work and his movement became recognized uh, as an outreach arm of the Church of England, the Church Army. Uh, and the Bishop of London eventually gave William Carlyle rather, I think, uh, an unusual title. He called him the Archbishop of the Gutter, which uh, is, uh, the gutter is rather a phrase that we wouldn't use today, um, but you can get what he meant. What he meant was that uh, William Carlyle, uh, his whole mission was aimed at those people who were deprived, who were unemployed, um, who were homeless, uh, the working classes who were struggling to make ends meet, uh, etc. So he founded uh, the church army, and I'm going to share the screen again uh, with you um, in a moment. Because uh, here we see 
one of the well-known members of the church army, Terry Waite. And Terry Waite um, uh, was uh, in the Archbishop of Canterbury's um, envoy to uh, the Middle East, but he was a member of the church army. And as you know, his story is that he was... um, went to um, the Lebanon to negotiate about the problem with hostage taken. And he himself was taken hostage uh, and was kept incarcerated for five years. Extraordinary period of time. And uh, many of you will remember how we used to um, pray for him and be concerned uh, about him. And uh, a lot of uh, the way in which Terry Waite says that he managed to survive his period of being a hostage was the training that he received in the church army. And one of his quotes is that, at the end of the day, love and compassion wins. At the end of the day, love and compassion wins. So the church army uh, is very much uh, active today, and there are a number of uh, characteristics of the church army that we could think about. The first of all is generosity. God is generous, and we want to model that generosity to others. In other words, the church army is involved in uh, social care. Uh, It's involved practically in dealing with people's needs as the way of demonstrating that the God that they follow is a generous God, not locked up in ivory towers or in big churches or in wealthy congregations, but is out there helping others. And then risk-taking. Well, of course, um, William Carlyle was a huge risk-taker, leaving the Church of England curacy, going out on his own with his open-air meetings, having um, cased the joint, as it were, to determine where people were at what time of the day, and that was when he felt um, that it would be a good time to hold his open-air meetings. So the church armies had a long heritage of risk-taking, prepared to take risks and give colleagues permission to succeed or fail as they seek to do new things. And that's a big lesson for us, isn't it? Uh, To take risks. So often we're a bit frightened to do something unusual, out of the ordinary, to come out of our comfort zone, whatever that might be, um, or maybe to give folks within our congregations the permission to go out and do something uh, what we might think is daft, um, but also to allow them uh, to fail or succeed. We've got to be risk takers. Uh, Jesus was a big risk taker, as were his disciples. And then accountability. The church army um, would say that they're accountable to God and others. 
and living reliably and responsibly to high professional standards. In other words, everything they do um, should be to a very high standard because uh, folks are looking at them and watching what they do. So they've got high professional standards and their quality of life should be uh, demonstrated by reliability, or you could use another word, stickability. Um, in other words, not to give up when uh, things are difficult. And then collaborative. They're committed to partnership with others who share their values because they believe it enhances the work. Collaboration. Well, we're collaborating tonight in one sense in the evening service, but it means much more than that. It means doing things together, recognizing that on our own individually or as individual fellowships, we may not may be able to make the impact on the society in which we live that we would like to, but maybe together uh, we can do things so much better. And they're expectant. They're hopeful, expecting God to do new things amongst us. Well, um, are we expectant as Christian people, as church fellowships? Are we expecting God to do new things amongst us? Or is it just the same old, same old uh, that we are experiencing? Are we expecting the Holy Spirit to move amongst us, to shake us up, to do new things? Unconditional. Well, God loves everyone and everyone is significant in his eyes and we will serve anyone regardless of their age, gender, race, sexuality, faith, ability, status or circumstances. God's unconditional love for everyone that we come into contact with. Um, and that sometimes can be difficult because you and I um, can occasionally have closed minds. Our previous experiences have fenced us in to a way of looking at the world or a way of thinking about things which isn't open um, to things which challenge us uh, in our own lives or in our own experiences. Um, but... God loves everyone, and that's one of the key planks of the ministry of the church army. And then prayer, listening to God, being obedient to God, and being uh, desirous of being like Jesus in our life and witness. Prayer. I wonder how much our work in the church is underpinned by prayer. Um, sometimes prayer can be just an aside. We go through the prayers on a Sunday morning in the church, um, which is fine, uh, and we encourage everyone to take part. But what about our own lives? Are we listening to God? And if we listen to God, 
are we being obedient to God? The current president of the church army is the former Archbishop Rowan Williams. And he's a supreme example of prayerfulness. Uh, at six o'clock every morning, uh, he is up. Um, he is alone uh, in his house and he spends an hour in prayer and listening to God every morning. Um, that's a real challenge for me at any rate. Um, and I wonder uh, how many of us spend some time during the day uh, in prayer to God. Um, it's my experience that there's a gender difference here and that uh, women are much more prayerful than men. Uh, and um, I'm much more likely to spend time in prayer and listening to God, whereas I think for men, this can sometimes uh, be a struggle. But prayer should underpin everything that we do. We're in the midst of this COVID crisis. We're uncertain as to what the future of the church will be uh, in the coming decades. Well, are we praying about it? And are we listening to see what God want, might want to do with us? So those are the seven principles of the church army. Uh, God is a generous God. We should be risk takers. We should be accountable to one another and to God. We should work with one another, collaborative. We should be expectant that God will do new things amongst us. We should recognize that we serve a God who has unconditional love for everyone. And we should pray, listening to God and wanting to be like Jesus in our life and witness. A lot uh, to think about uh, in that list uh, of words. One of the things the church army encourages people to do as part of their training program, and I put it down on your order of service, if you were a household appliance, what would you be? If you were a household appliance, what would you be? Now, I'm not going to go around and ask you uh, tonight, but maybe you can go away and think about that. Would you be uh, a vacuum cleaner? or a washing machine, or a tumble dryer, or a brush? What would you be um, in, uh, uh, as you think about that, and why? So I'm going to stop screen sharing now, uh, and uh, we'll come back uh, to um, our next hymn, which is As Fire is meant for burning. This is a new hymn, relatively new hymn, uh, by Ruth Duck, who was born in 1947. Um, and uh, it's in contrast to who is on the Lord's side, and it shows how people's thinking have changed over the generations. And one wonders whether in a this is how we look at things now, but that's how God moves amongst us, always doing new things. So we're going to sing as fire is meant for burning. Mm -hmm. 
Henri Newman on uh, notes that our lives are not problems to be solved, but journeys to be taken with Jesus, our friend and finest guide. Sometimes we think Christianity is about solving problems in our lives, difficulties that we have. But I think he gets the balance right. It's not about us. Uh, it's about journeys to be taken with Jesus, our friend and finest guide. And that, I think, is um, this journeying concept goes right back to um, William Carlyle, the church army, the Salvation Army under General Booth when it was set up. Uh, and today, as Christian people, uh, we should be moving out uh, and moving on. And the journeys that we take should be with Jesus, our friend and finest guide. And so, as we close this service, um, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of, and witness of William Carlyle. And we thank you for the church army uh, and its underpinning principles. And we pray that you will make us a people ready to go out, expectant that you will do th new things amongst us. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit in the coming days, weeks, months and years, that you will show us what you want us to be as your church in the West End. And so, Lord, will you part us with your blessing and may grace, mercy and peace from God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit be with us this evening and in this coming week. In Jesus' name. Amen.